and a lot to do with me. And I think that we'll leave here um, understanding about the way God works in our lives. I remember as a kid a, a movie that I would dread watching, but yet we watched it every year. Okay, now we've had to explain to our kids so they can understand, you know. We didn't have a VCR, we didn't have DVD, we didn't have Prime on Amazon so you could watch a movie anytime you wanted to. When Charlie Brown, Halloween, you know, came, you had to watch it, right? And if you weren't there at 8 o'clock when it started, you missed it. That's just the way it was. Well, there was another show, another movie that came on probably once or twice a year, and we would always watch it. And when you knew it was coming, because you get the TV guide, and you would see it there, and you knew, you know, on Sunday night it was going to be on, if you were like me, it raised some fear in your heart. Because you knew you were going to see those flying monkeys. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, those things are evil. I mean, they're just so scary. Who knows what movie I'm talking about? Do you know? Do you know? The Wizard of Oz. That's right. The Wizard of Oz. And those flying monkeys would come in. You know, they were the friends of the Wicked Witch of whatever direction she was from. You loved it when she melted, but those, those monkeys, you just... I mean, they just rained in my dreams for weeks. They would be there chasing me down Limestone Road. Those monkeys right on my tail going to pick me up and carry me away, right? Well, you watch that movie now. And they're still scary, by the way. Don't get me wrong. They're still scary. But, you know, it's really interesting to watch that movie. And, and there's one particular scene that I have grown to love greatly. You know the story. you got Scarecrow and who needs a brain, Tin Man who needs a heart, Lion who needs courage, and Dorothy who just needs to go home, right? And she has her dog, Toto, okay? And they're all trying to get to the Oz, and they're following the yellow brick road. Follow, yeah, you know, okay, all right. And they get there to the Oz, all right? And they're going to ask him, you know, to do some miracle for them. And I, I just love this scene. I mean, the whole movie, you know, for two hours with commercial breaks, you've been working to this moment. And you're there, you know, remember, they're all shaking as they come up to the Oz. And, and Toto, is, am I saying his name right? Is that right, Toto? Yeah, Toto runs over, okay? My dog would do this, I'm sure. But he grabs the curtain, remember this? And he pulls it aside, and there's that little old guy. Remember him? I mean, the Oz is big up on the screen. The great and mighty, powerful Oz. And flames shoot up, remember that? And then there's this little guy behind the curtain. And I love this guy, because he's talking into a microphone, the great and powerful Oz, and it comes through the speaker, and he's doing all this stuff. I just remember him in my mind's eye. He's like making all these things happen. Remember him? He's like moving things around with his foot, and he's moving things with his arm, and, and the flyer would come up, and the clouds, and the smoke, and all that. And you remember his line? Remember what he says? Remember what the Oz says? says they're all seen now. The curtain has been pulled away. And what does, he tell, what does Oz say at that moment? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I love that part. That is the best part of the whole movie. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It's just over there doing all this crazy stuff, right? And the Oz was a big scam. I mean, the movie makes it, you know, they all tie up the loose ends, and the, the lion was courageous, and the tin man had a big heart, and... Scarecrow was the brains of the outfit. But you knew that. I mean, if you watch it with any kind of intelligence, you see that all the way through. The Oz did nothing. The Oz was a total sham. 
He was a scam. He was a con man. Well, what I want to do today is I want to look at a story that Jesus told. And as we read it and as we understand it, I want us to pull back the curtain. I want to pull back the curtain. And I'm not going to say to you, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I want us to pay very close attention to the one behind the curtain. Because the one behind the curtain, the one behind the scene, the one that's all through Luke 19, although he isn't named, is very, very involved. And is the God of the universe, the Lord, the one that you praised when you said hallelujah, the one that you praised when you said how great is our God, the Lord is the one seeker in all the universe. There is one person who seeks. And it is God. And He is in the story of Zacchaeus. A little, little man. A little man was He. The Lord is all through this story. And we see Him living out, God living out what we know to be true of Him. That the God of the universe is seeking us. He is seeking worshipers. He is seeking out people to worship Him in spirit and truth. Seeking out people to save. Seeking out lost people to save them. Let's read our passage and then I'll go a little further. I'm in Luke chapter 19. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. We've arrived at chapter 19. I will tell you, that we are nearing the end of a very significant section of the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus is going to arrive in Jerusalem. He is going to be betrayed. He is going to give His life a ransom for the world. We're going to see Him killed. We're going to see Him die. We're going to see Him resurrected. But He is now coming to Jerusalem. And this is, this is the last of several things that we're going to see in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see the last of the tax collectors that we're going to bump into. We're going to see the last person that we really see turn to Christ, other than the thief on the cross. But this is the last sort of public call that Jesus is going to be giving here in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly ministry. And as we see what Jesus has to say and and what he does, I want to see God the Father very much at work behind the scenes, behind the curtain. Luke 19, verse 1. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, short for Zechariah, which means righteous one. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So, he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, and he came down and received him joyfully. That's Zacchaeus who's receiving there. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. 
He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And then comes a very significant statement in verse number 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now we know that Jesus came to seek sinners. Jesus came to to find people who needed Him. He sought them out and He found them and He has delivered them from the consequences of sin. We go all the way back to Matthew chapter 1 when Jesus was born. What did the angel say about Jesus? His name shall be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We see in 1 John 3, 5 that Jesus appeared in order to take away sin. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1 that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And Paul said that he was the chief of all sinners. We know that in the beginning of this sort of section of Luke, Jesus told those three parables about the lost coin. Remember that? About the lost sheep. That was first, actually. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And what does the good shepherd, what does the shepherd do when it loses that sheep? It goes and finds them. It goes and finds the sheep. Jesus is all about seeking. Seeking, seeking, seeking. But when I read Luke 19, who's doing all the seeking? Let me look at it again. Who's doing all the seeking? Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, verse number 2. He was chief tax He was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Verse 4, he ran out ahead of Jesus. He climbed up into a sycamore tree. Remember that song, okay, as a kid? He's up in a sycamore tree. He's inviting Jesus. Seems to me when I read Luke chapter 19, the seeker is Zacchaeus. Well, I just said a little bit ago, the only seeker in all the universe is God. What's going on? Now let's let's take it out of first century Palestine. Let's put it in your life. So you feel your heart prod. You feel your heart move toward God. Maybe it happened to you this morning. Maybe this morning you woke up and you thought, you know what, I'm going to go to church today. Maybe you got in your car and you started riding down the road and, you know, you said to your wife or to your friend or whoever, I'm a pretty good guy because, you know what, I decided to come to church today. I'm, I'm pretty good. And you came here thinking that you're coming to seek God. Maybe you remember when you got saved, Okay? Maybe there was a time in your life you put your trust in Jesus. You understood you could never be righteous enough to earn your way to God. And so you turned to Christ. You put your trust in Jesus. And look back on that time right now. And you say, I was diligently seeking for the Lord. I mean, I wanted God. And so I sought Him with all my heart, with all my soul. And I was seeking. Or maybe you think of last week. When I put up on the verse. A verse up on the screen, that is. Seek Him and seek with all your heart. And you shall what? Find Him. And you think, that's me. I'm going to seek him this week. But let me show you some truth about us. 
Go to Romans chapter 3 with me, would you? And the reason why I want you to see this, I want you to see who it is that's standing behind the curtain. Standing behind the curtain, working in your heart. And I want you to realize that God is at work in your life. And your response, your being spurred towards Him, is a work of God. Look at Romans chapter 3. Let's just read this. It, it really needs very little explanation. In verse number 10, as it is written, and now we're going to have several quotations that trace back to the Old Testament. And what, I, what I see from that is, this has always been true of man. This has always been true of mankind. Look what it says. None is righteous. No, not one. You all know that. That's easy. Yeah, nobody's a good guy. But maybe there's a divine spark in me, and then I seek out God. Oh, really? Let's read on. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Do you know what I just said? No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then we are described what kind of people that we truthfully are. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Folks, there is only one seeker in all the universe, and that is God. Man never seeks God on his own. So when you feel a sense, when you feel a spur to seek towards the Lord, know a couple things. Know that is God. That is God working in your life. When I feel an urge to read the Bible, when I feel the urge to sing out a song to the Lord, when I feel the urge to, to talk to somebody else about Christ, I know that's God. That's God working in my heart. If we could pull back the curtain, there stands God. That's the first thing we've got to know about this truth. Secondly, we've got to know that there's no promise that it will come again. Hear that and let it rattle you. There is no promise that God will come to your heart and spur you on again. A resistance to the Lord is an improvable behavior. You can get better at it. You can get to where you can't even hear the Lord. You don't even hear Him. Now go back to Luke chapter 19. And let's step back into first century Palestine and understand what's going on right here in this passage, and try to understand why Luke is including this story, where he is, for what reason, so we can apply this to our life and glorify God. So Jesus is entering Jericho. I'd love to see Jericho someday. Maybe that'll happen. Josephus calls it the Eden of Palestine. Apparently it's a, it was, and this time, it was a beautiful place. 
Josephus talks about the fact, Josephus was a first century history writer, okay? He talks about that you could walk all year long in just linens. What that meant was very light clothes. So it wasn't that cold. I'm thinking like Florida, I don't know. But it was warm. The climate was warm. There's, there's writings that talk about the theaters that Herod built there and the, the trees and the flowering gardens. I mean, it must have been a beautiful place. And Jericho was where it was geographically. People had to go through Jericho for many different reasons. People would travel to Jerusalem. And the way that they would go, they would come through Jericho. So Jericho is like a door that opened to Jerusalem. And remember that God-fearing Jews traveled to Jerusalem regularly, regularly for festivals. They would travel to Jerusalem. And on their way there, most of them had to go through Jericho. So it was a religious sort of gateway. It was a military gateway. And what that means is that it was a, it was a powerful place, it was a, a prominent place, but it was a place where one thing reigned supreme, and that was taxes. This place was a gold mine of taxation. Listen to the things, I wrote down a list here if I can find it, of the things that were taxed. Listen to what was taxed in Jericho. There was a poll tax. You think you got it bad. Listen to this. A poll tax, the, the CPAs in room are saying, I do not want to work there. A poll tax, an income tax, a land tax, a grain tax, a wine tax, a slave tax, a transport tax. There was taxes for letters, taxes for produce, taxes for roads, taxes for bridges, taxes for everything. This place was a, a mecca of people and a mecca for taxation. You say, well, why are you bringing that up? Well, look at the character that Luke introduces. Go back to the passage. Behold, there was a man. His name was Zacchaeus. And he was not just a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. He was the boss of all the tax collectors. Now, I want to try to describe this. This is the sixth time that Luke has talked about tax collectors. Why does he keep bringing it up? He keeps bringing it up because we need to understand that in that world, these people are hated by most everyone. Let me just, again, we've, this will be the sixth time we've explained it, but just in case you missed it, here's what happened. Rome conquers the Jewish people, conquers, that, conquers Israel, and Rome sets up Herod as sort of a king of Israel. And he tells Herod, I need, Rome tells Herod, I need X number of dollars from you. You can do whatever you want to do to get it. So Herod sells franchises, tax collecting agencies. If you were an ambitious young man, you could go to Herod and and pay money to own a tax business. And when you were an employed tax agent for Herod, you had to provide all those taxes, you had to pay all those taxes for the community that you had oversight over, and you could tax above that anything else you wanted. Anything. And that's how the rich men, the rich tax collectors, lined their pockets. And if if Zacchaeus comes to you, and he says, you've got to pay me $1,000, even though you know 500 of it is going into his pocket, if you don't give it to him, he has a whole host of Herod's soldiers who will likely take your life. 
It's a powerful position. Tax collector. And they were hated, as you can imagine. If you were a tax collector, you could not even come into the synagogue. You couldn't even come in the synagogue. If you were a tax collector and you shook hands with somebody who wasn't a tax collector, guess what? This guy cannot come to the synagogue, cannot worship. They are, they're seen as unclean. They're like a leper in that day. So they're hated. But what about Jesus? Can you think of Jesus with any tax collectors? Did Jesus know a tax collector? Yeah. What was his name? Matthew. He wrote the first of the Gospels. He was a tax collector. He came to Christ. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, it says that he gathered all the tax collectors he knew and had like a banquet and had Jesus come there. I wonder if Zacchaeus was there. Could have been. I don't know. I mean, they're going to hang out with each other. They didn't have any other friends. Tax collectors were only friends with tax collectors. But Jesus dealt with them a lot. So if you said to Zacchaeus, who or what are you? You asked that, you asked that question today. Maybe you said, you know, I'm an architect. I'm a marine biologist, okay? I don't know. Whatever you are. If you ask Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector. If you ask everybody else, he's scum of the earth. So go back to our passage now. Let's, let's try to understand what's going on here. So I, I hope you've understood a little bit of the culture, a little bit of what's happening. But I want you to see now as we go through the passage that God's work of seeking takes priority. The work of seeking. There's only one seeker. It's God. And it takes priority, this seeking. Verse number 9. He entered Jericho and was passing through. What's that tell us? Jesus is going to go through Jericho to Jerusalem. That's his plan. He's passing through. And behold, that's what that word means. You know, it's like, ah, there he is. It's a surprise. You know, a little wind up that thing and that clown box comes out of that box. Behold, there's a clown. Behold, there's Zacchaeus. And I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't just move away and get this guy out of my my sight. We've seen this character of Jesus time and time again. Be it the blind man, okay, just last week. Be it the children. Be it those who need his touch. Jesus deals with them because the work of seeking takes priority. Now, this is a man, Zacchaeus, who was hated. He was hated. And Jesus deals with him. He deals with him. See, what happens is, The seeking of God trumps all other agendas. It trumps all other agendas. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, but he deals with Zacchaeus. And folks, can I tell you, that should be true of us. There's only one seeker. It's God. And his tool that he uses is us. And his seeking people should take priority in our lives. God prods you towards someone to show them love, be they an unbeliever or not. If God prods you towards a person, understand you've been honored that God has chosen to use you to seek. That's no small potato. That's a big deal. So God prods you towards somebody to to say a word of encouragement, to tell them about Christ, to, to help them in some way. That is an enormous 
honor that God has looked into his toolbox and he's reached in and he's offered to pick up you. Now, I've got to tell you, when I was reading this, and I've been processing through this, and I think of Zacchaeus, my heart has been burdened for a group of people who honestly fit with Zacchaeus. And that's the homosexual community. I've really been, as I've been praying over this passage and thinking about it, I, I keep coming back to a group of people who possibly are hated by us we aren't careful. And we've got to recognize that God desires to reach all people. And our world around us, the culture that we live in, is bringing things against the message of this Bible. If you want to know what I believe, what this church believes about homosexuality, go on the website, go to March 2nd, 2014, and you will find a message What is God's opinion about the homosexual lifestyle? And let me just summarize it for you. Over over a dozen times in the New Testament, in the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, God reveals that homosexual acts are sin and are not characteristic of a regenerate person. And we spent 57 minutes, I checked it this morning, on March 2nd, talking about that. You want to know what your pastor believes at this church? That's what it is. Homosexual acts are sin and are not characteristic of a regenerate person. But folks, we need to show love to all people that we encounter. Everybody. And not hate those that we may be tempted to hate. We do not want to be the crowd in this story. You see, tax collectors are not a big deal to us today. As a matter of fact, I kind of like tax collectors. They're nice people. They work for the IRS. They're accountants. I trust them completely. And so it's easy for us now to think back 2,000 years and think, oh, yeah, I would really like the tax collector. I would invite him to my house, and they would be my friend. Really? What if we change one little word? And make it somebody in our culture that you're tempted to hate. And tempted to believe that God couldn't work in their heart. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now the sexual immoral, that is those who practice pornea, which should mean something nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, and that is exactly what the passage says, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice this in their life, it is not the characteristic of a regenerate person. But listen to the next phrase. Listen, listen, listen. And such were some of you, Paul says. One of the things that I heard this week that really spoke to my heart, I was listening to some sermons myself, and the the, the speaker shared this. They said, because of what we understand from God's Word, good people are completely capable of terrible things. Don't think for a second that there isn't somebody in this room that deals with the battle against homosexuality. 
Such were some of you. God turned them, changed them, made them new creatures. See, the people who are going to see what happens to Zacchaeus, as God works in his heart, they don't believe that's possible. They don't believe that a tax collector can be turned. They don't believe that a tax collector can come to God. They think that's impossible. They are underestimating the one behind the curtain who draws people to himself. Now let's see how it happens. Let's see the heart of all. The heart of all is going to be revealed. Verse number, th- verse number three, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now you should know, if somebody says to me, I've been really seeking God. I've really been seeking God. You know what I instantly think? Romans 3. No one seeks after God on his own. God's working in your life. Now, I may not do that to them, okay? But I think it in my heart. God's working. And I'm jumping on board. I'm getting on that bus. Because God is working in their life. If somebody says they're seeking after God, they're questioning of God, they're, they're trying to find out who God is, no God is working. No God is working. And be excited. So Zacchaeus is seeking. So God, that means God is working. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Now, why is that? Why could he not, on account of the crowd, seek out Christ? Why do you have to climb up in this tree? Well, for one thing, apparently, he must be a short guy, so he wants to get up in the tree. But that's not really the real reason. You know what it is? When Zacchaeus walks into the crowd, the crowd becomes like the Red Sea in Moses' day. It parts. It parts. Zacchaeus has lived this since he started this business. Stays away from crowds. Stays away from crowds. They hate me. So because of the crowds, and he's a short man anyway, he's got to do something else. So notice what he does. He runs on ahead. He climbs up into a tree to see Jesus because he knew he was going to pass underneath. Once you see what's going on with Zacchaeus, he is seeking. He is listening. He's listening to what Jesus has to say. He is hearing the word of Christ. And by the time we're done here, he's going to find him. And he's going to be changed. He's going to repent and change. So he ran on ahead. He climbed up into a tree for Jesus was about that pass away. Verse number five. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house today. Now we need to be understand that when we read Scripture... Luke has not shared with us every single detail. You know that the Bible was not given. Like God, Luke did not go into a trance and just write blindly. Okay, that's not, how, that's not how Scripture is inspired. That's not what inspiration means. Inspiration means that it is God-breathed, that God superintended the expression of His Word. And we have the very words of God here. But also we have the personality of Luke sort of intermixed together. They bind together to give us Scripture. So we have the personality, we have the memory, we have the decision of Luke to include some details and not include others. Luke here says one thing that Jesus said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That's the only red words I have until verse number 9. But don't think that's all that Jesus said. Sometimes we get this idea, we read scripture, you know, Jesus like walking, well, he's not really walking, he's sort of like levitating above the earth, right? He's just kind of walking with that flowing gown behind him, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, kind of in Glenn's voice, Zacchaeus, come down, and you know, he comes down and miraculously he's changed. No. No, that's not how it works. 
Say, how, how do you know that doesn't work? It is the gospel that changes lives. How can one respond to the gospel unless they what? Hear it. Zacchaeus responds to the gospel. That means he heard it. There were no rays coming out of Jesus' fingers. Believer, believer, believer. That's not how it works. Jesus communicated the gospel the same way you and I do. And people responded. So Jesus here, he's, as he did, he's teaching. Everywhere he goes, he's teaching. He rules. Do you see what he says here? Zacchaeus, these are infinitives. He says, come down, hurry, come down, for I must go to your house today. He is Lord. This was not, this was not some little, you know, weak little asking, hey, you think we're going to come to your house? No, no, no. Get down, we're going, your place now. He rules because he's Lord. He teaches. He rules. He relates. Do you see how they respond in verse number 7? When they saw it, they all grumbled. They complained. He's going to the house of a sinner. This is relationship. Jesus relates with him like he does with us. And he makes him into a brand new man. I mean, when in verse number 8, Zacchaeus now, I like that it says, and Zacchaeus stood. What it actually says there is, and Zacchaeus took a stand. <clears throat> Zacchaeus says, Lord, half of everything I have, I give it to the poor. He takes a stand. You know, a stake in the ground. You know, maybe for you, this was you came forward in a service or you raised a hand or you just prayed in your heart in your bedroom. I don't know. You took a stand. Zacchaeus got saved at that moment. And he took a stand. And he offers this huge change. I mean, he offers what is most precious to him. Half of all of his money. And beyond that, anything that he stole, if he took advantage of anybody, he'll pay back what fold? Fourfold. Where did he come up with that? That is the maximum penalty in the Old Testament law when you take advantage. If you stole from somebody, there were all these different laws that, that the Lord gave. And if you stole from somebody, the maximum penalty was fourfold. So he says, I, 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 I will lay down my riches at such a level. Half what I have is for the poor and I'm paying back the maximum penalty. How different he is than the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler? Jesus said to him, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And what's the Bible say about that dude? He went away sad because what? He had great wealth. Zacchaeus is showing us what happens when a man or a woman is changed. When the gospel takes root, when God seeks and the Spirit of God comes and lives inside... It's a new creature. It's not the same. Now, that doesn't mean you won't struggle with things. Oh, you will. But it is a new creature now. And this new creature does things that just shocks those around. All of a sudden, your language changes, your words change, your love changes. You're, you're different with your family. You're different with your work, people you work with. You're different with your neighbors. You're different in all ways. You're a new man. You're a new man. Zacchaeus new man. But look at the crowd just quickly. 
They saw it, so they see this, and they complain. Their hate rules. Their hate just rules them, and they refuse. Not only Zacchaeus, the crowd not only refuses Zacchaeus, they refuse the work of God as well. What should have happened? What should have happened is the crowd should see that, okay? Zacchaeus is a changed man, and that should prod in their heart. If their heart was not so calloused against the work of God, then God would prod their hearts, and they would say, this God, this man, this God-man, Jesus, is real. But they callously derided and hated both Jesus and Zacchaeus. Verse number 9, just to wrap it up. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. We have the salvation of a sinner. He, ju- he, he, pro- he declares him righteous. That's the word Justification. He declares him righteous. He says, this man is saved. Salvation has come to this house. And then he says, since he also is a son of Abraham. What's he doing there? Think, get into Zacchaeus' skin. Since he's had this business, what's everybody done with him? They've rejected him. I mean, after all, he rejected God's people. Let's not take him too far off the hook. He rejected God's people. He rejected his own heritage. But now Jesus says, he also is a son of Abraham. Can I just say that this saint has a future? He has a future. He's been part of the kingdom of God. And lastly, he gives us the mission of the Savior. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what Christ does. He changes people. When a sinner seeks after God, when a believer seeks after God, know it is God's Spirit working. Please hear this. We're getting to the end of this message in the Gospel of Luke. I've been saying this same thing for months. Have you picked up on that? I've been saying this same thing for months because we're getting to the end of it. We're coming to the cross. And I don't want to say it's too late. It's not. But for this portion of the Gospel of Luke, the message is going to change. And so I'm coming near the end of my time in this moment to say to you, if God is prodding your heart, respond now. Because that is the Lord working. And you are not guaranteed that same prod tomorrow. And just along those lines... Let Jesus' mission be yours. What did Jesus come to do? What, did he come to be served? No. He came to serve. Did he came to be sought after? No. He came to seek. He came to seek and save the lost. I'll end with this. I always have more than I have time to say. The word lost, you know what it means? He came to seek and save the lost. The word lost here, it means one who is under destruction. One who is being destroyed is what it means. Jesus came to seek and save those who are being destroyed. 
Because God loves us. God loves the sinners that we know. God loves the sinners that we see from a distance and feel some hatred in our heart. God loves them. He wants to give them the very best thing they can have. What is that? What is that? That's a relationship with God. A barrier-free, abiding relationship with Christ is the greatest blessing that God has to offer us. But they need to hear the message that you and I hold. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do come to you asking you to prod me again. You seek after people, Lord. You come to seek and save the lost. Lord, will you prod us again? Will you be patient enough and long-suffering enough with us that you'll prod us one more time? Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've said no to your Spirit. We've resisted your Spirit. Our conscience has been seared by sin. Lord, instead, I, I want us all to experience just an openness to you, Lord. And whatever you prod us to, we'd respond. And Lord, I believe I know what that is right now. That's to worship you. Lord, to worship you as one who has forgiven. Zacchaeus worshipped with his, with his goods, with his money. Lord, we want to worship you now with our voice, with our heart. Worship you in spirit and truth. And then, Lord, when we go home, prod us again. Lord, prod us with people around that need to hear the message that you have. Thank you for saving sinners like us, the chief of sinners, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.